All right, hello and welcome to episode number 25 of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Good. I'm, I'm feeling very good. Actually, I had a um, seven hours sleep last night, which is the, the best I've had in a while. So um, I'm feeling decent. How about you? I'm very, very good. If people are wondering why Barney's celebrating seven hours sleep, he's just had a newborn baby. So sleep is at a premium these days. Uh, it's more sleep than me, though, man. So, mate, no complaints this week. <laughs> I tell you what, though, man, I did actually almost fall asleep in a, a few of the games this weekend. Some were pretty, pretty dreadful, to be honest. I think, yeah, I think I jinxed it a little bit. I was going on about how good a week it was last week for Premier League of football, and yeah, this week some of the games were less good, especially some of the games from the better teams. I mean, I always enjoy celebrating the good games for the lower table teams, you know, the mid-table teams, the relegation battling teams. But yeah, increasingly, I think some of the the big three games can be a little bit boring. One game that wasn't boring, though, Barney, and we've got to talk about this. Porto versus Juventus in the Champions League. Man, obviously, we predicted it last week. We didn't have time to cover the game before last week's podcast, but, oh man, what an incredible game. One of the best Champions League games I've watched in a long time, man. Definitely, and like a lot of people were saying, and I completely agree with them, that, you know, since COVID-19 started, you know, and no fans in the stadium, this is one of the best games I've seen. So, you know, there was that drama and that atmosphere, despite no one being in the stadium. But like you said as well, not not only that, but it was just general in the whole of Champions League football. You know, this is one of those ties that was just, uh, yeah, it was just brilliant, man. Fantastic game of football. Emotional roller coaster. Um, I think is a good way to put it. Man, when Taremi won that penalty early on in the game, I was just thinking, this is it. It's actually happening. And then, like, obviously, Juve get two goals back. Taremi gets the red card. Quick one. Was it a red card for you? Should it have been a second yellow? Oh, Albert, I wanted to talk about this in a bit of depth because I was. I thought it was an absolutely terrible decision. I've never seen a ref get so influenced by... Like you got The Juventus team just influenced them so badly. I mean, it just, uh, I, I was furious with that decision. Yeah, no, silly one. I thought it was... I just thought it was a stupid thing to do. Like, in one of the biggest... Probably the biggest game of his life so far. I thought it was stupid to even run the risk of, of getting booked. But obviously, didn't matter in the end. Sergio Oliveira saves the day with that wonderful free kick. I love the fact that after the game, they were talking about how they'd studied the Juventus wall. They knew they jumped. Uh, so he's gone under the wall. Oh, man, honestly. If I wasn't sitting in bed by myself, the scenes in this house would have been incredible. I actually had my my, my kid on... I was like, they were sleeping on me. And um, I had to stop myself from jumping off of the sofa and screaming when, <laughs> when that free kick went in, man. Man, such an incredible game. So... Enjoyed that one so much. The question now, though, Bonnie, of course, is who will they get in the next round? There's some fixtures still to play. I think it'll be interesting. Who do you think Porto fans will be hoping to get, in my opinion? I mean, there's a few big names left in the competition. Man City, Bayern Munich, uh, could be Atletico or Chelsea, could be Liverpool, PSG, Dortmund, could be Real Madrid. Of all those teams, I think the one team that I would be after would be Liverpool. You know, the way they're playing this season, really struggling for confidence. They've done better in the Champions League, of course, they got past Leipzig in the last round. But I think a team like that, low on confidence, struggling with a few injuries, perfect team to just, you know, soak up the pressure and encounter exactly the way they did against Juventus. I mean, to be honest, Albert, in the heat of the moment with the game, when it finished, I was, I generally was thinking, you know, they could take on anyone left in this Champions League draw. I thought the tactics, it was just a tactical masterclass from um, Conscious Al. And just, sorry, just to stay on this game, I just, you really saw the goal between Perlo and Conchicel, I thought, in this game. And there's been a lot of rumours now about Conchicel potentially getting this Juventus job from Perlo. And for me, <laughs> I think the squad and the players in that Juventus team would be perfect for Conchicel. Like, think about it, you know, Ronaldo and Morata up front, Cordado and Alexandro's the wing-backs, you know, you might have to get a couple of centimetres in to do what Sergio Oliveira and Yuri did for him that night. But the more I thought about, though, and the next the next leg, you know, the fact that they're going to be without Sereni, the fact that Sergio Oliveira is going to miss the first leg, I think that's going to be really detrimental to them. I think that those are both key players for the, the way that um Contrasau plays. So if to be completely blunt, I'm I'm not that confident in this next round but I think I think those are two big loss for them. I mean they said that about this round and they managed to prove us wrong. So I mean who knows what's gonna happen man. I just get the feeling with this Porto team in the Champions League that anything could happen. Whenever I watch them play I think anything's possible. And anyway, that round's coming up pretty soon. I think at the beginning of the eight of April the uh will be the quarterfinals. So what an achievement. And, you know, before we move on, just to quickly say, what a great source of pride it is for the Premier League to have one of the top eight teams in Europe in the Champions League. Just really incredible performance. Does wonders for Portugal's reputation and, of course, wonders for the old coefficient rankings. 
Well, we're going to move on to the other news of the week, and that is, of course, the national team selections. Now, usually we don't really get involved in Selesal conversation. We like to focus on the Premier League and, and leave the Selesal chat up to other people. But a bit of Premier League interest in these call-ups, Barney. We're going to ha- we're going to just react to the senior call-ups and the under-21 call-ups. Let's start with the senior team. A couple of Premier League faces in there that we'd expected and a couple missing. So let's start with the positives. Joao Palinha in the squad. Sergio Oliveira in the squad. Nuno Mendes, the young left-back from Sporting in the squad. Really happy to see that. And a wild card, Rafa Silva from Benfica. Called up to the senior national team. That one surprised me a lot, Barley. What are your thoughts on those players? Yeah, that was a little surprise to me. I, I think, I guess what you got to remember of Rafa, he's been in that squad before. But not only that, it, it's, a, it's electric pace, man. You know, And when they're playing like teams, say, it's Azerbaijan, they've got this first game. In international football, that pace is, is a useful thing to have. So I can I sort of understand it. I think there's a few other players in that position that are a bit coming up for injury, like Jota at Liverpool, for example. But no, I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic. Palin is, and I hope he get, I hope he gets played. Um, I hope he starts. Nuno Mendes as well is a is a big shout. You know, I think I can't I don't know the fitness of Mario Rui at Napoli or with Cedric Suarez and Joel Cancelo both playing left back this season for their club teams. You know, they might have gone for them. But yeah, I'm absolutely ha- delighted for him because you know. I always had it in my head, to be honest, that he was not going to make it for the Euros this summer. I thought it was good. they were just like leave him, wait on him and let him prove a bit more. But his performances have um, merited this call-up, I think, and I'm, I'm really excited to see him play. Yeah, I'm really enjoyed that call-up. I think even if he doesn't get many minutes on the pitch, it would just be nice for him to be integrated into the senior squad and be around some of the senior players. That's a nice one. I mean, honestly, my reaction to Rafa was a lot more extreme than yours. I was completely shocked at his uh, inclusion. I mean, we'll come on to under the 21s, but the fact that you've picked him over Pedro Gonçalves, I mean, these guys are playing pretty much the same position for their clubs and Pedro Gonçalves is the top scorer in the league. And the fact that they've gone for Rafa, I mean, look, that's coming from someone who likes Rafa. I've defended Rafa on this show. I think he's a good player. That was a strange, that was just the most bizarre one for me. Sorry, I've come... I've confused myself. I completely misread this. When when I read Pedro Neto, in my head, I read Pedro Gonçalves. So, Pedro Gonçalves is not in the squad and Rafa's in it. That is mad. That is ridiculous. Mate, that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why I was so surprised that you weren't bothered that Rafa was in the team. <laughs> <laughs> Too many Pedros in this squad. Oh, that's, that is, that, that is, uh, I can't believe that. I cannot believe that, how Rafa's in ahead of him. That's madness. Well, there you go. You're getting Barney's live reaction to this squad announcement on long ball football. Let's move on then to the under-21s because, of course, Pedro Gonçalves called up for the under-21s. And there's loads of uh, Premier League representation in the under-21s, loads of players that uh, I wanted to see called up. For me, a couple of the highlights are Thiago Thomas, uh, Francisco Conceição, Daniel Braganza, Diego Leite, all getting called up to the under-21s. So a lot more representation there. One wild card though, Barney, Thomas Tavares, the right back, currently on loan at Ferenz from Benfica. That really surprised me because I'm a huge fan of his. Anyone who's listened to our podcast for a while now would have heard me speak about him in the past. I think he's a fantastic young player, but I'm so surprised to see him in the squad. I mean, his loan at Alavej at the beginning of the season was a disaster. He's only just joined Ferenz and... I mean, he's not exactly in the best form. It's difficult to be in great form for a team at the bottom of the table, but that one surprised me. But anyway, yeah, a number of a number of uh, Liga Nosh players in the under twenty ones. I'm a little um, surprised Francisco Conceição got called up. I mean, he's looked all right when he's when he's been brought on for Porto, but he hasn't played that much and um, he hasn't really lit it up. I'm, I'm really happy um, Felipe Suarez is in there. Um, you know, one of these players that doesn't play for the the big three. You know, uh, plays for Marens. Um, Really happy to see him. He's been performing well recently. But I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I, I still can't get over it. Pedro Gonzalez. I might have to have a little break. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a bizarre one. I, we, we talked about him last week, about which players should get called up to the senior team. We had that discussion on last week's podcast. And we suggested three players that we thought seriously could have been called up. That was Palina, Sergio Oliveira and Pedro Gonzalez. If you'd asked me to pick, I would have thought, Pedro Gonzalez would have been the most likely. So I'm really shocked by that. I mean, I suppose he is still young. He's still got time to break into that squad. You look at players in the senior squad like Joao Moutinho who haven't got so many years left. There will be that opportunity for him in the future. But yeah, that one has that one has really surprised me. Anyway, we wish the best of luck to both those teams uh, in their upcoming fixtures. And the last international selection we should just touch on, Barney, is of course the sad but not surprising news that Ryan Gould was not selected for the Scotland squad as I said, disappointing but not surprising. What do you think this says about his prospects of going to the Euros? 
I really hope it's it's not over for him. I mean, the, the problem is, you know, it's, it's just the, you know, we're getting to the last round of international games before the tournament. So mm. managers are sort of, you imagine hoping to set, settle on their squad and the, the uh, at least the 11 that they play with. I mean, when you just look at that team, just, I mean, I know we're Portuguese footballers, but, you know, Kenny McLean from Norwich City, they're doing well in the championship, but they're playing in the championship. You know, Ryan Gould's playing in the top tier of Portuguese football. I just, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, man. He really deserves it. It's really, and it's just, that just makes no sense. It, it is really, really bizarre to me. I mean, you wonder whether they're looking at him, whether they're getting his highlights, because I think perhaps the stature of Ferenz as a team might be playing against him. Maybe people are looking at the squad that he's playing in and thinking it's not high enough standard, but anyone who's watched 10 minutes of Ryan Gould this season can see that his standard is far and above the rest of that team. You can see that he's one of the most coveted assets in the Portuguese league outside the top five at the moment. It's just, I mean, we're just, we're just saying the same things over and over again. He's so talented and it is a strange one to us. I think it's Scotland's loss. Um, I think Ryan should be very disappointed. I'm very disappointed for him. And as you say, I think sadly, it's really not boding well for his prospects of going to the Euros with this Scotland squad. But 25 years old, you know, there will be more tournaments in the future. All you can do, keep his head down, keep working hard, keep playing well. And hopefully if he does get a move to a bigger club in the summer, that will improve his chances of getting into that Scotland squad. Right, well, let's talk Premier League of fixtures, Barney. And the game of the week for me, without a shadow of a doubt, was Vittorio Guimarães versus Gil Vicente, a game which ended 4-2 to Gil Vicente at four time and a match which Vittorio would have been desperate to win, especially after a really damaging 3-0 loss in the Mino derby last week. Unfortunately, it ended in disaster, a catalogue of errors at the back. Uh, Moomin got a red card after 10 minutes for a reckless challenge just inside his own half. In my opinion, an, an unnecessary challenge. Him and his teammates have still got a chance to get back and cover uh, the oncoming attacker. Really poor decision-making from him. An all-round really poor defensive performance for Vittoria, which ultimately they could have been punished for even more than they were by Gil Vicente. I think we're both going to go in quite hard on Vittoria Grimarash in this section, aren't we? Because... <laughs> Uh, we're both so disappointed, but I mean, first of all, I think we do. This, I want to give some credit to Gilfrey today. I think they played well and uh, they deserved their win. But I mean, here I go. <laughs> I think Charles Henriques is making an absolute mess of this team, man. Fair enough, I would get sent off. That's down to play completely, like you said, stupid challenge. But it's the way you react to that. And you said it was a poor defensive performance, but it was it was so confusing what he was trying to do. I mean. He takes Andre Almeida off from midfield and puts on Isa Suleiman to fill that gap in the back four. So he's left the front three on and made the man light in midfield. Almost to say, yeah, we can still attack Gil Vicente. But then they get overrun in midfield with both Gil Vicente's first two goals, Andre Andre, Andre and Pepelu, they just couldn't get close to the players running through. And then half-time, he realises this mistake. And then they're two goals down and he takes off left-back Mensa for Agu, who played as a, a third centre-back. And then also Krismoff for Ruben Ramirez. But then he's making Ruben Ramirez to play like a left wing back almost. And so now he's almost saying Gil Vicente loads of respects, you know, by effectively going five at the back, even though they're down to 10 men and they've got two goals down. I mean, for me, it was just diabolical. I thought it was an absolute shambles, some of the, the substitutions. And like I said, I don't want to take anything away from Gil Vicente because they deserve it. But man, so confusing as well. I, I, I bet people confused listening to me see, describing that. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I, I also agree that I think Joel Enriquez has made some really questionable decisions. But on top of that, I think every single defender on that pitch individually has to take accountability for how they played. I thought the defence was shocking. Not one member of that defence played well. Obviously, Moomin got the red card. Uh, Wasara, the right-back, gave away a penalty. He had a poor game. Fernandez, the ever the usually reliable Fernandez, I think their best defender, very sloppy. Issa Suleiman came on. Obviously, we're big Issa fans and I'm really keen for him to get opportunities. Obviously, with uh, Moomin getting a red card, he will get opportunities in the next game. I don't think he did quite as badly as the rest, but, you know, a very difficult game for him to come into and shine. He did, you know, he can't exactly say that game by himself. So a shocking display for me. Work really needs to be done. For me, though, it's interesting because they still scored two goals and you have to ask yourself about the recruitment in the summer for me because the attack that they've got seems to be in pretty healthy shape. Bar a striker, I mean, Oscar is stupid then. Seems like he can't get a goal for love nor money unless Ricardo Quaresma's on the pitch. You know, if Ricardo Quaresma's 
doesn't play, this guy can't score. But outside of that, you've got good attacking players. As you said, Ruben Lemaris, Rochinha, Marcus Edwards, Andre Almeida, the uh, the young the young midfielder I'm a big fan of. But that defence is so poor. I mean, when your best and most experienced centre-back is 23 years old in Fernandez, I think that's in a really bad, you're in a really bad position. And I think you have to ask why the attack was reinforced so much in the summer when the defence wasn't. I think you made really good points there. I think there's such an imbalance in the squad there in terms of not only like the attack and defence, but also in the the age of this team. There's just not enough experience. You know, youngsters, like you mentioned, are stupid. In. I mean, he only cemented his spot in the starting eleven sort of midway through the autumn. And before that, they'd experimented with Noah Home and Lyle Foster, who they brought in. And I think it's clear that they're not ready to play at this level. They're, they're, they're still developing. And then apart from... Fale Sacco and the right back, like you said, the defence is so young. I mean, I, for me, Albert, Jorge Fernandez, I, I know he's got his fans and you mentioned you quite like him. I'm not convinced. Personally, I think Moomin is the better of the two, though he made this mistake. And we've made it clear on this podcast what we think of Issa Suleiman. You know, he should be ahead of one of those two, in my opinion. And, we've, you know, we mentioned before that statistic that when he's in the back line starting, you know, they're conceding far less goals um, against all the clubs outside the big three. And also, by the way, Albert, Issa got a yellow in this game, so he now misses the next game. So they'll be out without Moomin and and Suleiman. So obviously Thiago started the season as manager and that proved to be a mistake. You know, he had the whole preseason, he had the transfer window. And so you could argue that Yao Hendricks, you know, he hasn't had that uh, preseason, but man, he's had, he's had a transfer window now. He's had a decent amount of time with this squad. They didn't recruit correctly in in the January transfer window. And I just can't even tell you what their style of football is, man. You know, it's just so confusing. Yeah, I think he started quite promisingly and when he came in, he seemed like a safe pair of hands to kind of shore things up after the whole debacle surrounded Thiago and unfortunately I really don't like talking about Saki managers on the podcast but I think there is a genuine discussion to be had about whether changing manager would improve would improve their season to me that's down to a couple of things I do not understand some of the team selections I mean Marcus Marcus Edwards has been dropped a number of times now you could argue that's that that's about getting a reaction out of him but I clearly think that doesn't work. That's not the type of player that Marcus is. He clearly wants the confidence and he wants someone to support him. I mean, just to go off on a tangent a second, Marcus Edwards was also the second best player on the pitch when he came on. I mean, I think he only played for 20 minutes or so, uh, but he made an instant impact with a great run down the right-hand side, cutting in, got a shot on target, almost set up a goal from the rebound, then won the penalty that Andre Andre then missed. Let's come back to that in a second. But he's been dropped a number of times. I think... Ricardo Koreshma started this game after being on the bench for the last few games and then got hooked off at half-time. I don't really get it. I think there's questionable man management in this team. I think he's had great successes in the past. That's fair enough. He's a proven manager. But I'm unsure whether it's working with this team and this squad of players, which, fair enough, he didn't assemble. And just to finish up on Joe Henriquez, I think it's a shame that I don't think he is giving the English players a chance. I don't think he's buying into the recruitment of those three players Victoria clearly went on a specific recruitment drive. They picked up three young English players from the same England under-19 team that won those won that European Championships. He seems to not have gone board with that. That's fair enough. That's his decision. But I think there just seems to be a big gap between the squad, the recruitment that's been made in the past, and how Joao Henriquez wants to play and the team that he wants to, to play with. I think that's a fantastic point. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of, you know, him not fencing the recruits that they've made previously. I think Edwards is the biggest one, like you said. I mean, he's chopped and changed. Rashini has played well and scored some good goals, particularly in this game. It was a wonderful, beautiful goal. Of all those attacking players, Edwards, on his day, is the best player and probably the only player in that squad who can win a game, be a match winner, make those runs, make those... You know, he's the only one. And the fact that he's not getting a tune out of him you know, that's got to be the biggest crime of this managerial time at Victoria because last season, one of the best players in the league, one of their, their biggest asset, they're going to get a huge transfer fee when he moves on. And the fact he's not utilising him is, 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 is his biggest fault, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, we've, we've said a lot of negative things about Joao Henriquez. I don't, <laughs> it might be a bit late to say this. I'm not sitting here saying, I think he should be sacked. He's a bad manager. He's a proven good manager in the past. I am suggesting that something's not quite working between him and this team at the moment. I think something needs to change. Maybe a good summer window for them will be a good thing if he can bring in those players he wants. That might mean bad things for those English guys at the club, which I would be sad about. But if it benefits the team as a whole and they want to go with Ryan Henriquez as the manager, then that's totally a fair call to make. But look, something really, really badly wrong at the moment. And 
again, another game that we didn't have time to cover on last week's show, but that 3-0 loss to, to Braga in the Mino derby as well, to coming off the back of that really, really damaging result. I think that just shows, you know, historically we've always seen Braga and Pretoria as those two teams outside of the top three, you know, where battling against each other, which one's going to break in, which one could make a splash in Europe. But the, the gap between Braga and Pretoria at the moment is is pretty sizable. Yeah, and just to go to Gil for Sunday before we move on, because um, they deserve credit. I mean, they, they did have an extra man for most of the game, which definitely helped them. But they're, they're one of these teams, aren't they? That I've been hard to sort of pinpoint what sort of team they are this season that they've you know they've beaten Santa Clara and Rio Ave now as well as Victoria but always you know they've been absolutely dreadful in uh, some games they would have been there so you know they'll be happy with this win I think there's a few consistent players in there who always caught my eye Laurenti at the winger and Fujimoto the um, the Japanese winger he was he had a lovely little run to get the first goal and he's only 21 as well so he, he looks exciting and they also then for me as well, Pedro Marquez on loan from Sporting B. I think he took his goal really well. That's so good signing. So yeah, massive win for them. That's that's, that's going to be a, takes them out of the relegation zone, doesn't it? Yeah, no, great win for them. Great win for their season. Great win for their position in the table. The only downside is that they should have scored five. They should have had a fifth in that counter-attack in the 95th yeah. minute. Well, moving on, Barney, let's talk about one of the other games that happened this week. One of my favourite games in the calendar, the Madeira Derby, Maritimo versus CD Nacional. Uh, and this one ended 2-1 to Maritimo. I'm not going to go on about it, but I did predict this exact result before the game. I'm very proud of that. It was a fantastic game. I really enjoyed it. Really great derby atmosphere. That's what I enjoyed so much about this game. You know, no fans in the stadium, but the players themselves really up for the game. Uh, both teams playing really good football as well. Very positive football. Both teams went out to win the match. Uh, and the thing that I took away from the game, Bon, is that it really showed the importance of Rodrigo Pino. Back from injury, his first game back in a very long time. Won the penalty that, of course, uh, Jota Go missed. I'm pretty sure who I know is going to be on penalties for the next one. Scored two goals, even though the first was blatantly robbed from Leo Andrade on the line. But he's just so important for that team, man. Seven goals he scored before he got injured. He signed a pre-contact agreement with Benfica for next season, it looks like. You know, that just shows how important he is and he made all the difference in this game. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive for Maritimo for, for him getting back and being fit. He was important at the beginning of the season. Joel Tegu sort of took up the, the mantle at some point around winter, but a new manager as well, I think, it's, you know, that, that little new manager ba- bounce is, is Julio Velasquez, who I'm really excited for. You know, what is he, 39? Great on a touchline, you know, nice suit, clearly taking it seriously. <laughs> I show good energy. And the fact that he's managing the Real, Real Betis and Udinese is, is is promising, you know. And I think it was smart. He didn't seem to make too many changes to the team. You know, he kept that partnership up top with um, Pino and Jotogo. You know, I think looking at his past, he, he likes to play 4-1-4-1. So it will be interesting to see, you know, a couple of games down the line if he does decide to change that. Yeah, I was really impressed with him as well. And to be totally honest, I knew absolutely nothing about him before he was announced as manager. He's managed in Portugal before. He spoke Portuguese in his post-match interview, which was nice to see. Um, but yeah, I just thought he he was a really positive presence on the touchline, really encouraged the players. And I think he got a great response from the players. You know, We've seen a number of, of these relegation battle teams now make managerial changes and get a positive result. So... Uh, I think hopefully that'll be another one in in the case of Maritimo. Uh, a real good opportunity for them to turn their season around because they've been on a real downward slope for a long time. They're in real danger of being included in those relegated teams. So we're obviously hoping that they're able to turn their season around and improve things. Uh, in terms of Nacional, Barney, I think they were second best on the day, although they played admirably. They took advantage of Maritimo's early nerves and got that first goal. Uh, and the link up between Coziello and Kenji Gray for that goal was... Fantastic. I'm a big Kenji Goro fan. I think you're a Coziello fan. Uh, and we both enjoyed that one. Beautiful assist from Coziello. I think this is the best game I've seen him in a national show. I think at the beginning of the season, when I was, when I saw he was at that team, I was excited to see what he could offer, you know, with his interesting pass and the high transfer fees he's accumulated. But he didn't really show much signs. But the fact that he was playing this number 10 role and, and given a bit of more freedom than I've seen in previous games um, really worked. I just didn't understand why he was taken off, man. He got taken off too early. Uh, I don't think he should have been given a bit longer to try and get a, a, a second goal. I think Maritimo deserve deserved this win. I think they could have had a third and fourth at some points in this game. So great for them. And I mentioned last week, but I am worried about CD National. I, 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 they had a really positive start to the season, didn't they? Having come up, having won the second division last year. So yeah, I, I'm a bit worried for them. Yeah, I think exactly the same thing. I think we're seeing a lot of teams improving. And while I haven't thought National were the, one of the worst teams in the league, with the improvements that some of those teams in and around them are having it could be difficult. Obviously, three teams this year threatened with relegation. That third bottom space is obviously a playoff, which 
personally, I'm not too worried about. I don't think these playoffs, you know, we see them in Germany and, and in Scotland and places like that. And I don't think they ever really worry the top division team too much. Uh, I think they've got, there is some quality in that squad. As you said, Coziello, Kenji Gori as well has chipped in with some good goals. So there is quality there. But yeah, they could definitely find this season very difficult. Uh, in terms of upcoming fixtures, Barney, Morito's next fixture against Family Cow. And I'm going to use the cliche, it's a relegation six-pointer. It's a massive game. Absolutely. And then they got friends not not too long after that. Those are, those are two big, two huge games. So hopefully they can build in this performance, build in this win. I'm hoping they don't beat friends because of our um, affiliation to <laughs> Ryan Golden. But um, I mean, you say you yeah, say affiliation. Yeah. There's nothing official. We're just we're just a fan club. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nacional as well. I've got Gil Vicente next. So again, another big big game in the relegation battle. It looks like this weekend's going to be another really important weekend in the relegation battle with the Primera Liga. So we look forward to covering those games next week. But moving on to games at the higher end of the table. We're going to discuss all the big freeze games this week with wins for Sporting, Porto and Benfica. Let's start with Sporting, Barney. 1-0 on the night, they beat Tondela. It was not an easy game though. They did not make life easy for themselves. Uh, they did what they've done many times this season, a late goal from Thiago Thomas. I saw somewhere on Twitter that that's now 15 points this season. Sporting have earned from goals scored after the 80th minute uh, and it was another vital one this time. Yeah, we talked about last week, um, Tondeo's crazy home and away form this season. The fact that, you know, that it's almost a fortress at Tondeo. Only Brug have won there this season. So I, I even said that they, I could see them potentially getting the win. But yeah, it's just just what Sporting do, isn't it? I was really happy Thiago Thomas got the goal. I think um, he's been a, one of these players where you, we know that Paulino is going to take that spot. We know, you know, they want a better striker in that position. But when he's been given the chances, you know, he never fails. He always puts in 100%. It was a bit of, bit of a fortunate goal. I think Poe went for the shot, didn't he? And it just sort of fell to him. But no, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the best game, was it? They, they weren't too good. But, you know, that cliche, champions win when they're performing badly. No, absolutely. And, and they'll be delighted with the three points. This is a game that no one will remember at the end of the season when they're holding the, the trophy, if they do get it across the line, which it looks like they will. They did waste a lot of chances, though. And maybe that could be a worry, especially going into more difficult games uh, towards the end of the season. I don't want to be too harsh on him because he is such a young player, but I think Thiago Thomas was quite wasteful this game. He should have scored a header at the end of the first half. Obviously, he made up for it with his goal in the second. That's what matters. Um, I didn't count too many clear-cut chances other than those two for any team. I think they could really do with Paulinho back and firing. We want him to come in and start scoring the goals that we know he's capable of. But as you say, churning out the points uh, at this stage is all that matters. We know how strong Tondela have been at home, Barney. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they threatened really. They had one good chance to score. I think Mario Gonzalez had a great chance, but he couldn't quite get on the end of a wicked cross from John Murillo, he was their danger man down the right-hand side for me, John Murillo. But yeah, not much to take home from this game about Tondela. Right, well, on to Porto versus Passos Barney. 2-0, this one ended to Porto. It was a scoreline, in my opinion, that flattered Porto. They were not totally dominant by any means. It wasn't the greatest game either, this one. Two goals in quick succession from Pepe and Sergio Oliveira were enough. It was quite strange for me, Barney, because the players looked really tired in this game. And I was thinking, oh, you know, fair enough, they've just come off the back of a gruelling Champions League fixture but that was on Tuesday you know the game was five days later so I'm not sure we can put it down to that I mean maybe the season's taking its toll maybe it's the lack of squad rotation in that squad but yeah very uninspired Porto performance I mean to be fair it was 120 minutes on a Tuesday wasn't it so you know that's going to be a little bit hard and they had to travel it did surprise me you know they went with it was exactly the same 11 wasn't it that played against Juventus and I guess that's showing respect to Passos you know this is a big game in terms of the league you know Passos have been great this season and for Porto to sort of keep them in and, and try and keep the pressure on sporting you know this was a definitely a must win I don't I, I sort of disagree with that I thought definitely I thought they were clearly the better team I think I do you know those two goals could have been avoided if Jordi the Passos keeper hadn't made a mess of you know both both those goals oh, I mean the Sergio Oliveira one was almost comical wasn't it it's was like a cartoon he was lying on his back waiting for the ball to drop over the line trying to bat it out and he couldn't reach it yeah not his finest hour I mean he's been great the Passos keeper by the way so I'm not going to hammer him at all because he's been a fantastic keeper but yeah that was a game that he won't want to won't want to look back on I think weirdly though Barney the best chance of the game fell to Passos that Stephen Eustachio header about an hour in 
uh, when Passos had a free oh. kick whipped in and he could have just touched it on. That was the best chance of the game for me. He'll be disappointed not to score that. Ultimately, though, doesn't affect the result. Two goals for Porto. If, if that goal had gone in and Marston hadn't made that incredible save, you know, the, the game could have played out very, very differently. You know, Porto hadn't really had any clear-cut chances themselves. So if that goes in 1-0, suddenly the pressure starts cranking up on Porto, it, it could have been completely different. I guess you could compare the benches in this game, can't you? I mean, like when Passos was struggling, you know, they wanted to get uh, an equaliser. Who do they bring on? Zuelitsen, who, you know, came off a herald on the right wing. He's played right back and left back for them this season, almost as a fill-in player. And then Marston Calderon came with uh, Bruno Costa. And Martin Calderon has played 36 minutes this season, you know, he's on loan from Real Madrid's B team. It's just... It's just a massive drop-off in it, and because neither of those two players are going to change the game, and we've talked about Passos, uh, you know, hoping about Europe, but they're going to have to invest, aren't they, man? They've got to improve this debt because arguably their best two players who are on loan in um, Bruno Costa and Lufa Singh, and then there's loads of talk about Stachio leaving for either Benfica or Porto, and you know, suddenly you're in Europe, and yeah, they need to sort that debt from the squad out. I mean, Porto Menenza are in a great position with that loan from Bruno Costa because his price tag has gone through the roof. I'm not even sure Passos will be able to afford him. I can see one of the big teams coming in to pick him up. Did you see Conchasau and him at the end of the game? No. They were very, very friendly. Huh? Interesting. Uh, yeah, there was a... I mean, he's obviously ex-Porto, but that's a few seasons ago. He still, he would still know some of the players there, but... Yeah, Conchita and him looks uh, very pally. You know, that, uh, I think that that that's a possibility because they have Porto have got a buyback. I think. And you know what? I was I literally wrote in my notes, Barney, that Porto have a lack of options to come off the bench, and the one player they could really do with is a creative midfielder to come off the bench. And I wrote down somebody like Bruno Costa. So that would be an interesting move if that did happen. I think, yeah, obviously we can only speculate, so we won't go into it too much, but Passos have got a big summer coming up because if they're going to consolidate all this great work that they've done this year, they're going to have to put some money uh, where their mouth is and start bringing in some of these players permanently because a lot of players are about to walk out that door and start benefiting other clubs, which would be a real shame. Um, I think also, though, Barney, it's worth talking about Porto's bench because there's also, for me, a real lack of good options coming off the bench for Porto. The main threats I think they can bring on, Evan Ilsen, I would like to really see more of him. I feel like there's talent there, you know, when he comes on. He came for a big, big price tag in the summer. Let's not forget that. He was a big signing for them. Uh, and I think there's a lot more to come from him. I don't know whether I really want to see Porto playing with two strikers anymore. I'm not sure it works. I think there was that patch when Taremi and Morega were playing well together. I think... Taremi's form has slightly cooled down. Morega's not really been scoring goals. I wonder whether there's a different system that they could bring in. Luis Diaz comes off the bench. He's still a player that I really like watching. I think he's an exciting player. I know he's not the most consistent. I know he's not the most polished, but I just feel like there's a player there that could really make a difference. So who knows? I mean, I'm not the manager, but that's what I'd like to see. It's interesting that you say that, Albert, because there's elements of that I agree with you about. Like You mentioned Marega not being, obviously, a huge contributor to his team this season in terms of goals and assists, but we've just seen this tactical masterclass from Sergio Conchita in the Champions League with that 11, with Marega, who put a shift in that game. I was sort of going down the route now, but I feel like the momentum is with Porto in terms of, you know, the Champions League is going to give them huge confidence. They got that win against Juventus. They seem to be putting it together in the league now as well. You know, it wasn't, like you said, wasn't a great game, but they got this three points against a good Passos team. And I actually thought that, I think the Champions League momentum for Porto actually puts the pressure on Sporting now. You know, I feel like I can see Porto winning all their games for the rest of the season, even if they perform bad. I think, I, I, don't, I don't, if, you know, it's that saying that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, <laughs> yeah, they need they 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 certainly need to start putting other players in that eleven. They, they certainly need to do that. Well, unfortunately, Barney, I think this is somewhere where we're going to disagree because you say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think it is broke. I mean, they're not winning the league by that simple fact. What they're doing is not working because Porto have been the best team in Portugal in general over the last ten years. Over there, in terms of their contributions to the league and their contributions to the Champions League, they're the most successful team, and they're not winning the league this year. So something is clearly going wrong. We've seen them put quite lacklustre performances together in the league and in the domestic cups this season against teams that you would really expect them to do better than. I'm thinking about draw like that draw against Boa Vista, that draw against BSAD. You know, there's games here which they should have won, which they haven't been doing. I think what we're seeing is Sergio Constancao is really, really good at getting his team up for a game as underdogs. You know, that siege mentality, you know, us against them, we're the outsiders here. Uh, and we've seen that work against Juventus. But I feel like sometimes when they're in the league against teams that they should be beating, that mentality doesn't work because 
they are meant to be the better team. They're meant to dominate. And I think we haven't seen that consistently at times. That's demonstrated by the fact that, you know, that they're so far behind sporting in the title race this season. And I'll tell you what, if a player like Tony Martinez, Evan Nilsson, Fabio Vieira was given a starting spot, they're almost an underdog in that situation, aren't they? Because they're fighting for their place in the team and they want to perform. So I, I've, I've almost come around to your way of thinking now because, you know, if they start playing <laughs> those players more often, then, you know, perhaps they could have that underdog mentality and see better performances. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I wonder slightly, obviously we can only speculate, if some of those players in that Porto team are getting slightly too comfortable. I'm thinking about players like Tessa Tito. Now that sounds harsh because he's one of their best players. But also he's not been quite the kind of electric world-class player that you might hope him to be in recent games. I don't think he's been one of their biggest contributors. So that might be a bit harsh, but who knows? I feel like they could just do with some freshness. They could do with maybe a change up in formation, maybe bringing in some of those players that haven't been given a chance. So, But what do I know? I just do a podcast. I'm not a manager. <laughs> well, let's do the last game with the big three, Barney. Benfica versus Boa Vista. That game also ended 2-0 uh, and a much better result for Benfica. That's four clean sheets in a row now. Uh, and whilst they usually struggle to create chances, that's a criticism we've had for them multiple times this season. They had 17 shots in this game, seven on target, and it was two good goals, all from the same source. Diego Gonçalves assisting Harris Seferic. I actually want to be quite positive about Benfica in this game. I mean, like you said, a really decent run at the moment. And there's also a few changes to Levin that are really paying off. You mentioned Diego Gonçalves at right back. That looks like the perfect fit. You know, he's got that pace that pace for the first goal where he just got past the defender and put the cross in. Um, I saw people on Twitter sort of, I, I guess, tongue-in-cheek uh, comparing him to Trent Alexander-Arnold. And for me, that makes <laughs> sense, man. Like, you know, he's got he's, done, he's got that technical ability. His delivery's fantastic. You know, we see he's decent on free kicks too. And yeah, so uh, that's a perfect change. Verissimo at the back of Otamendi. Um, I think apparently Vertonghen is fit now, but uh, Jorge Zusa said he needs to play his way back into that back four. Uh, apart from that Arsenal game where, where he looked a bit suspect, I think that that partnership with Otamendi and him is, is looking good. And and the big one, Albert, Severovic up top for Darwin. You know, it's if you look at the heat map of when Darren plays, you know, he's mainly on the left side of the field, outside of the box. And when you've got Seferovic, you know, prime, central position, running in behind defenders, you know, for players like Grimaldo and Gonçalves, that's an absolute dream of just putting balls in. And it absolutely works a treat in this game. I tweeted out after the game, Barney, a little bit provocatively, just that for a striker that Benfica fans love to criticise, Seferovic doesn't half score an awful lot of goals. And I understand that he's not really a very glamorous player. Perhaps he's not the type of striker that Benfica fans dream of having. He's not Edison Cavani, you know, he's not Jonas. Um, he hasn't got that star appeal, but he is so effective at what he does. And he's the second top scorer in the league now. He's only one or two goals behind Pedro Gonçalves. So he's having a fantastic season. I think I wanna, I'm just going to respond to a couple of things you said. I agree with you on Diego Gonçalves. Really good player at right back. I'm always sceptical when a winger gets brought into a fullback position because I'm a bit traditional. I like fullbacks who know how to defend. He hasn't really been tested defensively, but what he offers going forward uh, is really valuable. I believe he's Jamie Farr's player of the week from Liganos this season. We'll give a big shout out to Jamie. He does a fantastic player of the week feature on Portugal.net uh, every week. So we recommend you go check that out. Also, Otamendi, Barney, we are going to have to be the first to eat our words because we slated him at the beginning of the season. And I stand by it because he was terrible. But at this point in time, credit where credit's due, he's been fantastic defensively. He's the heart of that defence and the improvement has been so commendable. So full credit to Nicolas Otamendi because he's turned this season around. One other player, Barney, I think it's worth mentioning, Luca Waldschmidt. Now, I think everyone has forgotten how much promise this guy showed in those first few games of the season when he was fit, playing alongside Darwin Nunes and he was the one scoring the goals. I think he's going to be such an important player that if they can get firing again, if they can keep him fit, get his confidence up and get him playing how they want him to, he's going to be so valuable for that Benfica team. Yeah, it was almost that, um, like a Bergkamp turn that they got the penalty mm. from, wasn't it? We've got to give credit to Jorge Zeus and these um, changes to the eleven. You know, um, the other one, the big one as well, is Helton and goal for Odysseus. You know, I'm not entirely sure why he's made that decision, but it's working. And it's, mm. um, you know, four clean sheets in the last four games, man. And, yeah, yeah. It's nice to be positive, isn't it? 
<laughs> something we haven't been able to do about Benfica in a little while. So yeah, you're quite right. Uh, and one last game that we're just going to touch on before we move on. It's a game we haven't had time to prep much because it happened quite late last night. Family Carroll versus Braga ended 2-2, but we really just wanted to put on record how impressed we were with Family Cow under new manager Ivo Vieira. The transformation for that Family Cow team is unrecognisable. I cannot believe it's the same team that's been so bad so long this season. I mean, I don't know how many times Ivo Vieira has even been on the training ground with that team. He's worked some kind of motivational magic uh, and they look brilliant. Very unlucky not to win that game. And that comes down to one decision, Barney, the infamous penalty given to Ricardo Horta after VAR. Your reaction on that one, please. Um, in terms of style and execution, that's one of the best dives I've ever seen, man. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It's the it's the worst VAR decision I've ever seen. It's the worst VAR yeah. I've ever seen. How they've given that is insane. And you know what the irony is as well, Barney? A couple of weeks ago on this podcast, we were discussing comments made by Ricardo Horta's brother, Andre, about how players spend too much time on the floor looking for fouls and how that's detrimental to the game. I wonder what he'll have to say to his brother after seeing that. Yeah, I think you know that, that was really unlucky for Family Cal. Like you said, they were brilliant in this game. But what I think this makes really clear, you know, with the new manager only having a few days with them, is that whatever Silas was doing, these players were not behind him at all. They didn't believe in the system. There's probably some very frustrated players on that team. You know, things weren't working out, nothing was changing. So they must feel a million dollars, you know, with um, this new manager and being able to... I mean, Roberto Taveras, I'm so excited to see more of him, man. We've talked about it last time, you know, they've got such good players in that team, man. They've got such good players. And if if, if they can get a tune, you know, if they can start playing, you know, it's, it, they need to. <laughs> they need to, man. They were in trouble. <laughs> they were. No, no, it was great to see some of their players playing well. Big shout out to Heriberto Tavares because that was a fantastic solo goal. Again, go check out the highlights of this game if you've not seen that goal already. Definitely one of the goals uh, of the week. It was funny. Heriberto Tavares, obviously an ex-Benfica player, one of our Twitter followers, Mark Dillon, made a funny comment when he said that Heriberto Tavares is a former Benfica player by taking points off Braga has already done more for Benfica this season than most Benfica players, <laughs> which made me laugh. Well, that's all the game chat for this week. We're just going to round up the table quickly. Obviously, Sporting sitting top of the table, 10 points clear with 11 games to go. Porto in second, Braga failing to overtake them, sitting in third on 50 points. Benfica in fourth, Passos in fifth. Vitoria Guimarães, six points behind Passos de Pereira. Uh, in sixth place. Uh, and to look at the relegation zone, you've got Ferenc rock bottom on 19, Famalicao moving up one place with 20, uh, and Boa Vista, Maritimo and Nacional all on 21 points above them. Yeah, and look, I think what I've taken from this week and, and last week as well, Albert, is that, you know, it's, it's all running good, you know, watching the big three games, but recently you sort of know what you're going to get. But the games that have really been fantastic to watch have been these these matches between the, the, the smaller teams. And so next Sunday, you know, 5.30, Boa Vista for ends, that's going to be a cracker. Maritima, Family Cow, both teams have just improved in the last, last weekend. It's going to be, those are the ones you should be trying to watch is what we're trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We're all about those lower table teams. It's a fantastic league to follow. Uh, and if this is one of your first times listening to us and you're thinking about following the Primera League, we cannot recommend it enough. It's been a great season so far. Right, well, it's that part of the podcast where me and Barney have a bit of a chat about a pertinent topic from the week. And this week, it was my week to choose. Uh, and inspired by the fact that Ali Al-Mizrati won midfielder of the week, a player who's gone from being one of the most underrated to one of the most highly rated players in the league this season. I want to talk about which players uh, are the most underrated from the league this season. So myself and Barney have done our best to narrow it down to three players each. We don't know who we've picked but we're going to compare players and make our argument for the most underrated players in the Liga Nosh this season. Obviously, underrated is a subjective thing. This is just about who we think hasn't quite been given the credit they deserve. So, Barney, over to you if you want to talk me through your three players. The thing I enjoyed about picking these players is that, you know, you could look at the big teams or you could look at the smaller teams. And um, I, my first pick was actually from Sporting Lisbon, and that was uh, Nuno Santos, a player who uh, Pedro Gonzalez has stolen headlines this season completely, you know, and he's coming this summer, hit the ground running. But so is Nuno Santos, you know, um, signed from Rio Ave. And he's actually been a really important part of that team. You know, in terms of goals and assists, he's contributed a lot. And 
he's essentially keeping Jovan Cabral at the team. So I, I think he's he's slightly gone on the radar, but he's 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 a fantastic player. I've really enjoyed watching. That's a great pick. That's a player I didn't think of actually. Yeah, I totally agree with you. New signing in the summer. Really good attacking player, lovely left foot. I really like those positive players who look to beat their defensive opponent, get balls into the box, get shots off. Yeah, I've really enjoyed watching him this season. My second player was um, Carlos Junior from uh, Santa Clara. We mentioned him a few weeks ago, but you know, in terms of he's he's got seven goals and four assists, and uh, for me, that's a real huge factor of Santa Clara's success this season. Or having lost uh, Thiago Santana, he plays out the wing, but you know, cuts inside, and he, yeah, he's just. And, you know, Santa Clara is such a small team and the success they're having this season, you know, for him to sort of be contributing as much as he is in, in that team is, is is pretty impressive. That's a fantastic choice, Barney. I really like that one. He's not a player that I know much about at all. So I'm learning that from you. Seven goals and four assists. I had no idea he'd contributed that many because, you know, for a winger, for a team that's not in the top five or six this season, that's a really fantastic return. Yeah, he's been putting him in more so recently as well, and he seems to be growing in confidence. Uh, he's not he's not the youngest player, but you know, like I mentioned, the, the, the departure of Thiago Santana, we we all were like, oh, they're going to be doomed. They're, they're not going to be able to keep us up. But players mm. like him, you know, stepping up, mm. and that's the thing. You know, when when a when a big talisman does leave a club, you're not, you're not able to financially invest in a replacement. You know, and you have to look within the squad for someone to step up and you know take that take that responsibility. Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's been fantastic. Yeah, my last one out is um, uh, Paulinho, but not that one. You know, the one from Boa Vista. Um, <laughs> right, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Brazilian like, winger, but sometimes plays in uh, midfield when they go for a free. I forgot to shout out last week because he scored a, a great goal against Family Cow in that game. And, you know, you know you've got Albert Ellis and Angel Gomez who've been, um, you know, he's playing in the shadow of really in terms of their contribution to the team. But he's he's looked good as well, I think. And he's not, he's, I think he's like 20, 23, maybe a bit younger. So, um, yeah, yeah, another another good player that, perhaps haven't given much credit to this season. Yeah, I spotted his goal last week. I did really enjoy that. A nice solo goal. I think there's a couple of players that we could have gone for from Boa Vista, actually, which is funny to say because they've had quite a poor season. Ricardo Mangas, I toyed with picking. He was on my shortlist, shall we say, the left-back uh, from Boa Vista. I think he's had a good season. Uh, another new signing for them. But yeah, totally. Paulino, again, if you haven't seen the highlights from that game uh, when Braga played Family Cow and they won 3-0, that was a fantastic solo goal. Well, I'll run you through my players, Barney, the three that I managed to come up with. Uh, I narrowed it down from a short list of about eight players. I found it quite difficult to pick. The first one, though, was quite easy for me. Uh, and that was Andre Almeida, not the Benfica right back, the young 20-year-old attacking midfielder from Vittoria Guimaraes, a player that I really enjoyed watching this season. Actually, I meant to mention it earlier, but I was a little bit surprised and disappointed that he wasn't called up to the Portugal under-21 squad because I thought he stood a chance of getting into that squad. But we've seen the wealth of talent that that squad has in attacking midfield. So it could be difficult for him to get a spot. 20 years old, came through the Vittoria Youth Academy. His goal contribution stats are not amazing. He's only had one assist this season, but he plays very centrally. And we've seen Vittoria's goals this season often coming from the wings. He's a graceful player, Barney. Good passer, excellent close control and a lot of potential. For me, I would love to see him add those goals and assists to his game. I would think that would mean he gets a lot more attention than he does already, but he's got all the attributes to be a great midfielder and one of a number of good midfielders in this league that he could pick, but he stood out for me. Yeah, and I think in that um, Vittorio Gomes team, you know, Andre Andre is the one in that of those midfield three who does get a bit more advanced and is, is allowed to uh, attack the box, but he's 31, man, so he's he's coming towards the end of his career and so Andre Almeida is just a perfect replacement for him, doesn't he? Um, and so when he's, he's given that license, I'm sure he'll get a few more goals. I feel like he's starting to get a bit more of a name for himself. I think that there's some credit building. Um, and that's completely down to him. You know, he's been given the game time this season and he hasn't let anybody down. I think he's taken his opportunity uh, brilliantly. Yeah, exactly. You can't underestimate just how important it is for a young player to break his way into that midfield this season, especially given some of the recruitment that uh, Victoria made this summer. My second choice, Barney, also comes from midfield. I've gone for Hida Masamorita, the 25-year-old Japan international who plays for Santa Clara, signed in January, so not been here very long. Only played nine games, scored one and assisted one in that time. I love the way he plays. He's kind of a deep-lying midfielder. You could call him a defensive midfielder, but he runs from deep. He wins the ball back and he pushes that whole team uh, up the pitch. I've seen so many times him in and around the opponent's box, popping up where you don't expect him to, trying to make things happen. Uh, one to keep an eye on, I think, because I think he can have a real influence from midfield on of game. 
Yeah, man, and he he just runs and runs and runs and runs. He does. He just doesn't yeah. stop. I think his um, the first goal for the club came and like it was like a last minute winner, and you know he was up in the box like you know he shouldn't have been there. He should have been, <laughs> but he, he, there he was. No, he's uh, he's he, I've liked him as well. But I think that's a great pick. Yeah, my last one, Barney. I've gone for Fernando Fonseca, the 24-year-old right back from Passos de Ferreira. I thought it would be good to pick. <laughs> that's a great shout. <laughs> I think that's the best shout. <laughs> I think he was a great pick because it's good to pick someone from Passos because they've been such a surprise this season. There's been so much said about them, but not much said about Fernando Fonseca. Uh, and I really like this guy at right back. Former Porto player. He was on the books at Porto for a very long time. Now finds himself at Passos. Tall, quick. Looks to get forward. He tries to play that modern right-back role. But he's very solid defensively. He's got a decent delivery. Uh, and I think of all the players, of all the attacking and creative players getting credit this season from Passos, he's a player that I think should be getting a bit of credit at right-back. Yeah, I think when I when he first caught my eye in a game, I just assumed he was like a, a 29, 30-year-old right-back who'd been in this league for a long time, knew his job well. But what is he, like 20, 22, 23? 24. Yeah, he's been, um, he's been fantastic. Um, any other any other shouts, Albert? You said you had a short list of eight. Is there anyone you want to quickly give a quick shout out to? Yes, shout outs, please, too. Uh, Samuel, the goalkeeper from Porto Menendez. I've spoken about him last week, I think. I really like him. Ricardo Mangas, as I mentioned. Fran Sergio from Braga, you know, a team playing fantastic oh, yeah, football. Yeah, I think yeah. he's a slightly underrated player. Uh, and Chancellor Mbembo as well, I think, who... Oh, I had him as well. Yeah, it's a strange one because he plays for Porto, obviously, so he gets a lot of attention, but I think sometimes his performances go under the radar. I mean, I think back to that Champions League game against Juventus, you know, Pepe got all the plaudits, and rightly so, for one of the best defensive displays I've seen in the Champions League, in my memory. But Mbembo as well, alongside him, uh, doesn't yeah. get a lot of the plaudits, but he's been so solid. I mean, when you think about... The last time we saw him in England playing for Newcastle, the player he is now yeah. compared to then, fantastic. Yeah, it's so shocking. I think, you know, you do think of that time when he was at Newcastle and just, because that, that was a really exciting um, transfer at the time because he was, he was quite young then as well. And it's, it never worked out for him. But yeah, I completely agree. I think when you're playing against alongside Pepe, you're not going to get noticed as much, but his contribution shouldn't go um, unnoticed. Right, well, those are our shouts for the most underrated players in the Liga Nosh this season. Of course, if you have other suggestions, if you think we're being daft, if you think we've had some good shouts, let us know. You can get us on Twitter at longballfootball or via email at longballfootball at gmail.com. But that's about all we've got time for this week. We'll, of course, be back next week discussing all those big games at the top and bottom of the table in the Primera Liga. If you've enjoyed listening, why not leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if that's your podcast service? Or if not, you can send us to a mate who you think might enjoy it. Uh, but for now, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.